Our sermon series over the last couple of weeks and uh, through the summer months is in need of a shepherd, and our theme verse is Matthew 9, verse 36, and so let's join together as we uh, remember that we are uh, having as our goals a desire to love Jesus more and also see others as Jesus saw them. So let's say together, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Our text this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, we are given two portraits, uh, a portrait of two kings serving two different banquets, illustrating two kingdoms. The first king that we're uh, going to meet is a man by the name of Herod Antipas. It's his uh, bust, his sculpture up on the screen. Uh, young king, he was a son of Herod the Great. And uh, when Herod the Great died in 4 AD, just a few years after Jesus was born, uh, Herod the Great's kingdom gets divided. And so if we want to head to the next slide, we can see a little bit of the family tree. And uh, Herod the Great, instead of anointing one successor and allowing his kingdom to stay together, he divides it out. And so one son rules the southern part of Israel, one son rules the northern part. That's Herod Antipas, who we're going to be reading about. Another uh, son sort of rules some of the other region around the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, there's all of these unique family dynamics at play. And in the first verse of our text, we read about Herod the Tetrarch. And we're going to be learning that Herod Antipas, number six there, marries his sort of half-niece, Herodias. And so that causes quite a stir within the ministry of John the Baptist. And so when we come into the text, John has been imprisoned for about a year and a half at this point because John has said that Herod Antipas's marriage to Herodias is not acceptable. And that, of course, doesn't meet kindly with the rulers of the day. Salome, we're also going to be reading about her. She's number five on the, sort of in the middle of the screen there. She's the daughter, not of Herod Antipas, but of his half-brother. And so we're going to be hearing about her as well. And so uh, these family dynamics are sort of all over the different uh, geographic areas. We're going to be uh, talking a little bit about that this morning as we um, read together. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles or follow along up on the screen as we read from Matthew chapter uh, 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, we've got to hit pause here because this is, verses 1 and 2, present day. Uh, but what follows is a flashback. 
And as I noted, John the Baptist has been imprisoned for a year and a half before he is beheaded. And if we remember, Jesus doesn't begin his ministry until John is imprisoned. And so when John is imprisoned, Jesus begins to teach and preach and heal. And so we are about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. And uh, it's sometimes difficult to know and follow along in the Gospels exactly where on the calendar of Jesus' three-year ministry we are. But we get a glimpse here that we're about halfway through. And so what's happening is that the crowds following Jesus, seeing his healing, hearing him preach, they are growing. And so not only is word about Jesus spreading among common Jewish folks, it's also making its way up the ladder to the halls of power. And Herod Antipas, his capital city, is about eight miles south of Capernaum. And so it's not all that far away from Jesus' home base and the places that he is preaching and healing. And so word is making its way around and the rulers of the day are becoming interested. And Antipas, who has taken John's life, is intrigued by the fact that there seems to be this other prophetic person that the Jews are rallying around. And any time in the Roman world when uh, someone is a, a local Jewish leader and gets crowds, the leaders, the governing, uh, the governing authorities start to pay attention because is this going to be a military uprising? Is this just someone who's peacefully inviting people to assemble? What kind of leader is this? And so in a few verses, if you have your Bible open, you can skip ahead. But in verse 13, Jesus is not all that excited about this newfound fame with Herod Antipas. And so he slips away and he goes to a part of the country that is ruled not by Herod Antipas, but by his half-brother, Philip. And so again, we got this family dynamic going on. And so that's sort of the present-day picture that Matthew is presenting to us. And then we get this flashback in verse 13. <clears throat> now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For Joan, John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John. We have a reactive leader. Self-interest. If violence suits him, takes him. But he is also afraid of the people. And so we might imagine that this is the kind of person who uh, is extremely reactive, but before actually doing anything, makes sure to have all kinds of polls taken to see where the people at large are falling on this issue. And so Herod wants to kill John, but he's afraid of the people because they consider John a prophet. And Herod, on his birthday, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, she's about 12, 13, or 14, danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. 
Now, we should not be imagining that Herodi, uh, that Salome gra uh, gathered her ropes and did a beautiful, interpretive, flowing dance uh, as part of a worship service. That's not the kind of dance that Matthew is describing to us. The kind of dance here is the kind that we would find in a burlesque club, the kind that would be incredibly sensuous, which makes this incredible scene all the more repulsive. And it also illustrates to us the kind of character of Herod Antipas, right? He is not only a violent character, but he's also, he takes what he wants. He's incredibly interested in his own pleasure. He's not thinking about other people. And so he wants to do something spectacular for his stepdaughter. And he promises to give her whatever she wants. And so the daughter asks, I would like on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And the king is distressed because he has polling data that tells him that this is going to be a bad deal. And so again, we have this tension in the text with Herod Antipas. But because of his oath and because of his dinner guests, he orders that her request be granted and John is beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. And so this is an important scene that we get right in that Herod sends out, the head is brought back, it is given to his stepdaughter who then receives it, and takes it to her mother. John's disciples come and they take his body. The sense is they don't get the head. They bury it and they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And so if we want to go to the boat, you can see sort of right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the uh, is the Sea of Galilee. You can see Capernaum just under the big red letters, Galilee. And if you sort of move your way down the Sea of Galilee, you can see Tiberias. And you can see that borderline where the Jordan River flows in. Or not the Jordan River, but the stream, so that creek flows into the Sea of Galilee. And so it's uh, we shouldn't imagine that Jesus is going all the way over the Sea of Galilee, traveling, you know, a dozen or so miles, and the crowd follows him, that Jesus is sort of slipping away across this creek into a different part of somebody else's jurisdiction for safety. So Jesus sort of hops over by way of boat into a different part to withdraw privately. We'll pick up the text again. Hearing of this, the crowd follows him on foot from the towns. Now, the picture we have just gotten is of a king who is selfish, who is driven by violent outbursts, who is interested in his own pleasure, and is fearful of people. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and he saw the crowd, a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. Second time we heard that. 
and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, do not, you don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring it to me, he said. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. Now, when you and I think of the scene, sit down on the grass, we're thinking people are standing and they sit down, sort of crisscross applesauce, right? They sit down and they're sort of ready to eat. But the word there, to sit down, is actually not what we would think of crisscross, but the word there is to recline on a couch like you are going to at a banquet. So if you remember the, when we talked about Esther a couple weeks ago, we talked about Esther and the king, right, reclining on the couch in order so they could lay next to the table and they could eat. And so Jesus is having his disciples invite the crowd to literally gather and join him at a banquet. And so we have a king who is selfish and violent and driven by his own desires. And we have another king who is driven by compassion. Who hosts a banquet not for his own pleasure. Not to be served, but to serve. And so he directs the people to recline on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They, were, they all ate and were satisfied. Notice there's no note of satisfaction at the previous banquet. And the disciples pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that are left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. I struggled whether or not it would be appropriate to name names this morning. I think we'll decline. But it's not hard to come to mind politicians are only interested in themselves. It is not hard to come to mind podcasters and media personalities who send out tweets and Instagram posts self-aggrandizing themselves and who in a moment's notice will turn their back, shut the door, or turn off anyone who comes against them. We live in a culture of Herods. And they are all vying for our allegiance. They are asking us to come to their banquet, to put our pleasure first. And if it demands violence, it's acceptable if it serves our purpose. And they are driven by likes, they are driven by polls. They are driven by the masses. And whatever makes the masses happy, that is what we will do.
And in comes Jesus. The shepherd king who is desperate for a break. He is running for his life. And even as he lands in this remote place, notice that our attention, Matthew draws our attention to the fact that we are in the middle of the wilderness. There are no gas stations around. There are no bed and breakfasts around. There are no grocery stores. This is a deserted place. It is a solitary place. It is a remote place. The only thing that is there is Christ himself. And Jesus is going there in order to replenish, to re-energize, to have some time apart. And the crowds follow him. And instead of seeing him respond out of selfish ambition, we see him take on the role of host. It's almost as if we imagine him telling, hey, Peter, come over here. we got to move the table. And so they move the Lord's supper table out into the middle and We wonder where it came from, but Jesus always seems to have a backup table with him. And he he tells the crowds, don't just sit down, but get ready to receive the kind of rest for your weary and burdened souls. For the yoke I'm giving you is easy and light, and the food I give you will nourish your souls. And every day of every week, that is the choice of king we are presented. The choice of kingdom we are invited to be a part of. And in one, we are invited to lay ourselves down and follow after Jesus, trusting that he will give us everything we need It probably will not be earthly popularity. It will probably be not the kind of pleasure that we really want, if we're honest. It will probably be and not be the kind where the world will say to us, you, oh, we love you, we adore you. But it will be the kind of meal where there will always be leftovers. Because the gifts of the Heavenly Father are infinite. By the death of Jesus Christ, you and I are invited to receive them. Let's pray. God, when we turn on the news this week or we put on our favorite media personality and we hear again the siren song of Herod, May your spirit stop us in our tracks. When we find ourselves prone to violence because we are not getting our way, may your spirit gently nudge us that we are following the wrong king. When we are driven by our own pleasure and desires, May you gently remind us that you bid us to come and die and to receive life evermore. 
And when we look at the banquet and the feast of this earth, may we be reminded that it ultimately ends in death. And that you invite us to a feast that gives life and nourishment and peace. Inspire us to make that choice daily. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.